You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. morning. Today's text, Paul read for us from Ecclesiastes chapter 6, but I was assigned a little bit of chapter 5, so I'm going to read those verses as I'm going through them. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV version, so it may be a little different than what you may have read for this. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 8 and 9 say, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed about the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. What the teacher is telling us here in this passage is not to be surprised by economic disparity. This text was written probably about 900 years B.C. It was talking about the economic disparity of that day. If you go back, way back to the beginning in the Exodus account, when the Mosaic law was established, there were accommodations made for those who were poor. Go forward to the day of Solomon, there were poor in the land go forward to the day of Jesus. Jesus is teaching parables about poverty. Think in the Gospel of Luke, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Why was this parable important and memorable? Because people could relate to that. The people understood that there were poor in the land. Go forward into our day today. We still see economic disparity on many levels. Looking in our recent news, I've been fascinated by the news recently of the competition among billionaires. Elon Musk, Richard Branson, and Jeff Bezos. All these guys, super rich, what are they competing about? Who's going to be the first to go into space? They're competing about who's going to go flying above the atmosphere while millions of people in our, on our planet don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't know when their next meal is going to come. The teacher is telling us these economic disparities, they're real, they're perceived. But don't be shocked by it. Why? Because Jesus said it himself, you will always have the poor with you. But the teacher is telling us another thing here in this this little section. This is a gain for a land in every way a king committed to cultivating the land. We have societal structures set up to aid the poor. Are they sufficient? We can argue about that all day long, but we as a society have an obligation to care for the poor. We can look, you know, I mentioned a moment ago that there are billions of people around the world that don't know when their next meal is going to come from. We can narrow that down to Louisville, Kentucky. There are thousands of people living in our streets today 
They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They have no home. Some of them are working, but can't afford a home. That's an injustice in our world. We shouldn't be shocked by it. But what should we be doing about it? Our government is set up to aid the poor in some way. But what is the role of government? I'm trying to be, avoid being too political here, but I think it does need to be looked at. There is a role for government to provide for the common good, social structures, police forces, um, welfare programs, education programs. All of these are important goods that are provided for us by our society, and we need to utilize them. What should our response to these injustices be? Should we just sit back and say, well, yeah, it's always going to be so. Live with it as it is. Or are we as believers obligated to do something more about that? Are we obligated to reach out to those in need? Are we obligated in some way to care for those who cannot care for themselves? That's the question I'm going to leave open for now. I'll say this in the epistle of James, in chapter 1, verse 27. James says, pure religion is this. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is addressing the fact that there are people in poverty, there are people in need. Our concern should be for them. I'll say this, I, I use this text from James in devotional a lot. And one of the things I'll say, visiting the widows and the orphans doesn't mean stopping by on Sunday afternoon, have a cup of tea, and wish them well. To visit the widows and the poor in their affliction means to be concerned for their welfare. To take their problems, make them your problems, be a part of the solution for the people that you're in contact with. Be a part of the, the solution, not the problem. Verses 10 to 12 from Ecclesiastes 5. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Anyone here familiar with the cartoon character Scrooge McDuck? I see some hands out there. An image I have with Scrooge McDuck is he's sitting there in a room with all his money piled up on a table in front of him and he's relishing his money. He's collected all that money. It's his. He's proud of it. We don't do that, do we? I've never laid out all my money on a table and started counting it. I suspect none of you ever have either. But we do, on some level, like to accumulate stuff, don't we? We want to have the biggest 401k in the company. 
That's an accumulation of wealth that we can be proud of. We want to have the best collection of Star Wars figurines. We can make a big display of it for everybody. We can do that, but we're going to tie up a lot of money for that. One of the things, if you ever look on eBay, look for the item called rare. People want to sell anything, they're going to call it rare so they can raise the price on it. And there are a lot of rare things that are really just junk, but they're going to sell it as rare. So even in some level, we want to accumulate wealth. We want to accumulate it, we want to pride ourselves in it. I mentioned the billionaires just a few moments ago that want to go to space. They have so much money, they don't know what else to do with it. So they're going to build a space program to rival any government. And one of them's going into space today. But what are we accumulating wealth for? Anyone who works for a living, I think you want to have enough to prepare for an emergency. You want to prepare for retirement. All of those are great and good things. Anyone should be preparing for the inevitable expenses that are going to come up. But where is our concern for the poor in that? How much is enough? There's a famous story about J.D. Rockefeller. At the time, he was considered the world's wealthiest man, and a reporter came up to him and said, Sir, how much money is enough? Rockefeller's response was, just a little bit more. What's he going to do with a little bit more that he can't do with what he's already got? What are we doing with a little bit more that we're not using? That's more than we need. Keep that in mind. We, we need to be concerned with the world around us and what's happening. Scrooge McDuck had his money so he could admire it. We admire our things too. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus had this thing he said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For here, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our ultimate concern has to be our heart for those in our community. Verses 13 through 17. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, in sickness, and anger. Have you heard of stories? I think we've all heard stories of famous celebrities who've had great wealth but lived in despair. We've heard stories of athletes making mega million dollars contracts 
getting wealthy beyond all compare, but they're miserable because everyone in their lives is coming to them for money, for something. Everywhere you turn, there's someone coming looking to you for money. That's stressful. You look at the billionaires that I just criticized. How stressful is it for them when people like me are standing here saying, pointing at them, saying, yeah, you got all that money, what good are you doing with it? Maybe I'm guilty here. What are we doing? What, what good are we doing? What good are they doing? My point here, with all this wealth, doesn't bring happiness or contentment unless there's something greater. And we want to get to what is that greater? Again, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told the parable. To set up the parable, he was going from place to place. And someone in the crowd yelled out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, Well, who am I to be a judge over you? And then he went into the parable and he told them this parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So in this parable, Jesus is teaching us the accumulation of wealth cannot be our priority. The accumulation of goods cannot be our focus. Our focus has to be toward God. And what would God's will be for us in handling our wealth? Verses 18 through 20 of chapter 5. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment. In all the toil with which one toils under, under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So what the teacher is saying to us here is, yeah, it's great to work. God has given you your gifts, your talents, and yes, even God has given you your wealth. You can have it, you can enjoy it, you can use it. But use it honorably. Use it for more good. So I have a question to think about here. Is the teacher telling us we should be content with our life, whatever it may be? God gave one wealth, one poverty. Should we be content with poverty? Should we be content with wealth without God? I think the answer to both those questions is no. We shouldn't be content. 
what we should be doing is focusing on God, what God has called us as individuals to be doing, and how we can contribute to a society and make it better. What is God doing in us? What are we doing in response to God's grace and God's gifts? That's where I think we have to focus our attention. What is God calling us to do? So we move forward into the text that Paul read for us today. And I'm going to read the first six verses again. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. That's verses 1 and 2. So if God's given us this great wealth, but we can't enjoy it because we're stressed about paying too much taxes, someone trying to take it from us, a scam artist trying to get us, family members and distant friends calling on us to give them money because they have need and we can afford it. Have you ever seen a TV program called The Lottery Has Ruined My Life? It was on one of the cable networks a number of years ago, and everyone, every episode is a story about someone who man, managed to win a huge lottery prize, multi-million dollars. And within just a few years, they were broke. They were destitute. Some have died. Because the sudden wealth, they didn't know what to do with it. They're just so used to living from hand to mouth, day to day, plan for a week or two ahead, and all of a sudden they have millions of dollars and they're buying cars and houses and buying cars for new friends and all kinds of things. The fun never ends as long as you're buying, but once the money is gone, where's the fun? Many people who've come into great wealth have ended up in poverty because they didn't know how to handle the wealth. They didn't have a plan. God gave them a great treasure, but they could not fully appreciate it because the stresses of the world and they didn't have a focus on God. Beginning in verse 3, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. Well, isn't, doesn't Scripture tell us that many sons are a blessing from God? Yet here, the teacher is telling us that if you have a hundred sons, but you can't enjoy God's presence, what good is it to you? For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do, no good, no, do not all go to one place. So whether you have all these great blessings, or you live in extreme poverty, what is the end of it? you end up in the grave. A few weeks ago, you may remember, Pastor James did a sermon and he had a slide up on the screen. It was of a hearse towing a U-Haul. And he said, you can't take it with you. I think that's kind of the, the image I get here. 
You accumulate the great wealth, but someone else is going to take it. Someone else is going to benefit from it. You stressed, you toiled, you didn't, didn't appreciate what you had, and now someone else is going to get it. In verses 7 through 9, the end of our text, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. We can't catch the wind, can we? So ultimately what the teacher is telling us the toil of a man is for his mouth. You want to eat. You want to, you want to work. You want to provide for your needs, for your family. You want to have satisfaction and fulfillment. That is a good thing. Beyond that, what more do you need? Now, I don't think the teacher is telling us to, to live a vow of poverty, like some of the ascetic monks of old days where they vowed not to have anything, any personal property. I don't think that's at all what God is telling us. That's not at all what the teacher wants us to get from this text. Where the teacher wants us to to look and to study and to understand is that all good things that we have have come from the hand of God. All things that are pleasurable come from God and they're given as a gift of his grace. So where do we focus on all of this? I think for me, in the wisdom of money, money is a gift of God. God has given each of us talents and abilities and has called us to cultivate those talents and abilities and to be able to provide for ourselves and our families. But I think God also wants us to keep in mind that we have an obligation to the poor that we have an obligation to our community, that we need to do more than just look to our own desires and needs, but to look for the good of the common good in all the community. So in all this, what I think we're, we're learning is the teacher's telling us to be content with what God has given us, to work in a manner that we can build on that provide for our needs, and have our future secured. But to be thoughtful and humble about those who have needs where we can meet. And that doesn't mean we have to make great sacrifices to do so. It could be as simple as a thing as sharing a meal with a homeless person one day when you have an opportunity. It's not a lifelong commitment. Here at Sojourn Church, we share a meal every Sunday, and we call that meal communion. In, in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul said, that which, I have taken, well, that which I have received, I share with you. On the day he was betrayed, Jesus broke the bread. There are communion cups and a pew fronts in front of you. If you'd like to share along, feel free to take it. Remember that communion is a meal for the Christians, so if you're not saved... We ask you to let it pass by, not to exclude you, but just to say that this is a part of our communion of believers. 
So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He broke it and he gave thanks saying, this is my body broken for you. Together, let's take the bread. In like manner, Jesus took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this is the blood in the new covenant. Take this in remembrance of me. Thanks be to God. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.